This is my first time in, in South Africa, and it's a, just a joy to, to be here. Um, where I used to live in England was a, a town with a very significant South African community, so part of me feels like I've been here already. Um, our church used to do these, these church barbecues, and we, we learned quickly to put the South Africans in charge of that. Um, just everything was just, that was their thing. And uh, the only problem we had with that was that if, if anyone wanted to eat anything that had, you know, grown out of the ground, a vegetable perhaps or a piece of salad, uh, they didn't need to bring it themselves. Um, I, I did say to, I, I, I learned from these guys that the South African word for salad is chicken. Um, <laughs> well, it's my first time in South Africa, but it's not my first time in Africa. Uh, when I was a young lad and had just finished high school, I took a gap year and spent some time in, in Kenya, which was a, a, just a remarkable time. I had, I had just become a Christian, just a, a matter of a few months earlier. And I was converted in England. I was discipled in England, but I learned to pray in Africa. Uh, the Kenyan brothers and sisters really taught me what it was to look to the Lord in prayer. And one of my memories of that time in Kenya, you may well know this journey if you've been up there, was that the long drive from Nairobi down to Mombasa. And I remember sort of sitting in the back of this bus, I think, that we were in, and just sort of staring out of the window, my mind kind of, you know, sort of idling along. And it was there, for, for a long period, there was, it was the same kind of scenery. There would be that beautiful red soil, um, some green kind of bushes and, and trees, and then in the distance there was a mountain range. And as I was just sort of staring out of the window and looking at these mountains, I, I looked, for some reason my, my eyes were drawn above them and I saw some blue sky, some cloud, and then I saw some snow. And I was thinking, what, what is that? And then I realized I was looking at the peak of Kilimanjaro. I was looking at all this snow that was so far above everything else. And the whole of that mountain range looked amazing, but your eyes kept being drawn to that extraordinary peak. And I mention that because this verse we're looking at in Mark chapter 10, if you've got a Bible to hand, do please uh, look up that passage. I feel the same way about this verse. All of Mark 10 is like an amazing mountain range. Uh, if you drive through this chapter of the Bible, you will see beautiful gospel truths. Jesus talks about us receiving the kingdom of God like a small child, just open-handed, unself-conscious to be given something. Uh, the kingdom of God is, is something to be received, not grasped or earned, um, but to be received like a child. And, and when you give a child a gift, they... They're just happy to take it. They're not embarrassed. It's not awkward. Um, you know, I was spending Christmas with some relatives, and one of my cousins had a young child, and, and we were giving this child various gifts, and the, the child wasn't embarrassed to be given gifts. Uh, when the child received a, a, a gift, he didn't go, well, oh, that, that's too much. Let, let me give you something for that. No, the child just receives, and that's how we receive the kingdom of God. Uh, we've seen Jesus speaking in this chapter repeatedly about his coming death. His death by which we will be able to have life. His death that will be a ransom for us. His death being the means by which the kingdom can be received as a free gift. So there's a lot of just beauty to see in this chapter. But I want us to focus in on those few verses we had read to us. Mark 10, 
verses 28 to 30. Uh, We've just had the account of the rich young ruler. Uh, This is a man who wanted to follow Jesus. He looked like he was primary disciple material, and yet he wasn't willing to give up what Jesus was calling him to. And so he walked away sad. And as we read the account, we feel sad at what has just happened. And it prompts Peter to say what he says in verse 28. So we're told in verse 28, Peter began to say to Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. Now, there are two ways Peter could be saying that. Uh, He could be saying that as a boast, and I suspect he was. From what we know of Peter, he was a bit full of bravado. So Peter could be saying to Jesus, hey, we've given up everything. Yeah, with that, with that rich young man, it didn't work out with him. But, you know, look how amazing we are as disciples. And I wonder if, if the sort of subtext is Peter saying to Jesus, you know, aren't you lucky to have us as your disciples? But you could make the same comments of verse 28, not in boasting, but in despair. And maybe that's where some of us are at this evening. To say to Jesus, we've, we've left everything and followed you. Maybe some of us are feeling as though we've put a lot on the line for Jesus. And we're wondering if he's going to be worth it. Is he going to pull through for us? And so we're saying to Jesus, in effect, listen, I've I've put so much on the line for you. Is, is this going to be okay? I, do you know how much I've given up? Do you know how hard this can be? Well, either way, whether we're, we're kind of bragging like Peter or, or just despairing, Jesus' response is an amazing promise. It's amazing because of what, of what Jesus has for us, but it's amazing too for how it involves us. And it gets to the heart of who we are as the people of God. And there's a particular word at the heart of this promise that I hope we will take to heart. I hope that we will embody. I hope we will cherish. The word is hundredfold. So I want to think about this passage in in three parts. Uh, We're going to think about what we leave, what we receive, and what we provide. So firstly, what we leave. Jesus says these words to Peter in verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you. Now, in verse 28, Mark said Peter began to say these things to Jesus. So it suggests Jesus cut him off. Okay, Peter, we've had enough of you. And Jesus says in verse 29, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. So notice Jesus assumes we will leave things to follow him. Jesus wants us to know it will be costly to be his disciples. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that he doesn't hide that. (laughs) He's always upfront about that. Uh, You may remember in Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, Jesus doesn't wait until people are through the door before he tells them how much it's going to cost to follow him. There's no bait and switch. Uh, Similarly, in Mark 8, 
uh, verse 35. In the, in the next verse, Jesus follows that comment up by saying, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, there are going to be times when following me feels like it's killing you. And again, Jesus doesn't hide this. There may well be seasons when it feels like Jesus is taking life away from you. Um, I had an update happen on my, I can't remember if it was on my laptop or on a, on a phone or something, but this thing came up and it sort of, you know, to, to get the update I had to sort of click the, the box that said, have you read the terms and conditions? And I know we're not supposed to lie as Christians. But at the same time, I'm blatantly not going to read all those terms and conditions. So I just went, uh, yes, of course I've read the terms and conditions. And, you know, who knows what is in those terms and conditions? You could put anything in there. No one is ever going to read it. I may have just given my soul to Apple. But I think I already gave most of it to Amazon. So, you know, whatever's left over, Apple are welcome to help themselves to. But Jesus doesn't bury things in the small print. We will leave things to follow him. It is always costly to be a disciple. Uh, One writer once said, We may never know the treacherous journey people have taken to land in the pew next to us. Uh, The Christians who are sitting around you this evening may well be bearing a cost that is hidden to you. So Jesus assumes we will leave things to follow him. Jesus also assumes the most costly thing to leave will be relational. There may be any number of things we have to turn away from in order to turn to Jesus, but he zeroes in on the relationships that might be lost. Uh, The rich young ruler was not willing to, to even leave his stuff to follow Jesus. But Jesus is showing us there will be those who, if they need to, need to be prepared to leave their community to follow Jesus. Uh, That is not a sacrifice all of us have to make, mercifully. But there are those who, if they become Christians, they will actually lose their community. They They may well lose their family, their home, their kin. Uh, We can think of a particular cultural backgrounds or religious backgrounds where that will be the case. Someone knows that Hang on, if I become a Christian, I will never, ever be able to see my family again. Sometimes following Jesus can cost that much. But notice, Jesus just assumes he's worth it. Jesus says in verse 29... You know, people may have left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, and lands for my sake and the gospel. Think about that. Uh, The instinct of many of us is that there is nothing more important in life than our family, than our kin, than those who are nearest and dearest to us. And Jesus says, I am. Uh, We see how audacious Jesus is. This is just typical of Jesus. (laughs) 
to make a claim like this. He says, the most important, the dearest, the strongest, the most meaningful relationships we can have in this world, Jesus says, he supersedes. He is able to eclipse. He's assuming he's more compelling than our own parents, our own siblings, our own children. In fact, Jesus says he's more compelling than all of those things combined. Now, there may be people that we know, there may well be some of us this evening who are thinking, well, I just don't know if I could ever come to Jesus. I don't know if I could ever let go of this particular relationship. And so Jesus is saying to us that he is so much more than anyone else can ever be to us. Jesus assumes that he is more captivating, more enthralling, more essential to us than any other relationship in this world. That there's something our hearts will find in him that they will find nowhere else. If we have everything without Jesus, we have nothing. But if we have Jesus without anything else, we have everything. So we think about what we leave. And for some of us, there may be significant relational cost to following Jesus. But wonderfully, the, the focus of this passage is not just on what we, what we leave, but what we receive. By the way, isn't that a lovely sound? Not when you're English, because that's just, that's just what we hear the whole time. But I, I know how, how special it is to have rain in this part of the world. So let's think secondly about what we receive. So yes, we may have to leave everything to follow Jesus. But notice Jesus is saying in these words, listen, even if you did leave all of your family and all of your community, Jesus' message isn't, listen, I know it's going to be horrible, but don't worry because at the end of the day you'll get heaven. No, Jesus has something for us even in this age. Um, a few years ago, I was, I was preaching at my church, and a, a guy came up to me at the end, and he said, listen, I'm, I'm just visiting this church. I've never been before. I, I work nearby where this church is, and I just thought I'd come along one day. And he said, I'm, I'm interested in becoming a follower of Jesus. Would it be okay if we met up and you told me what it meant to follow Jesus? <laughs> and I was thinking, I think that would be okay. I'm a pastor. I think I'm allowed to do that. So I met up with this guy, we, we sat and had lunch together, he told me a bit about his story. Uh, he told me that he was a, a gay man, that he'd been in a relationship for a very long time, and he said, listen, I, I just need to know now, does Jesus approve of my relationship? And I remember thinking, that's, that's not where I want to start in evangelism. But I wanted to honor him, so I, I, I tried to tell him a little bit about what Jesus says about sexuality and God's design for it. And he just stared at me for a moment. He listened very patiently, and he just stared at me for a moment and said, my relationship is the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. 
What could possibly be worth giving that up for? And as I sat there looking at him, I remember thinking, that's actually a very good question. And I stalled for time trying to think of a good answer and said to him, that's, that's a really good question. And I prayed to the Lord, hey, that's a really good question. But this passage is the answer to it. I could have said to this man, well, you'll, you'll get heaven, you'll get your sins forgiven, you get a relationship with your creator. Those things are true, but the question was looking for a here and now answer. And that is what Jesus gives us. Even in the face of significant relational cost, Jesus shows us it is worth it to follow him. Not just in the age to come, but in the present age. It is always worth it to follow Jesus. It is never a bad deal. So look at what Jesus promises. Again, he casts this in relational terms. He says in verse 29, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, and yes, persecutions too, and in the age to come, eternal life. So look at what Jesus is promising to the one who leaves everything to follow him. Jesus says they will have houses. <laughs> now, it'd be lovely if Jesus was promising that all of us would have a sort of, you know, many properties that we owned. Uh, Jesus isn't promising that we'll all be kind of, you know, Donald Trump types who own properties all over the place. Jesus is saying there will be homes in which we are welcome. There will be houses in which we feel so understood. It feels like this is our place. Front doors where we know the moment we walk through, we can, we can exhale. We can bring down our defenses. We will know we belong. Uh, Jesus is promising not just homes, he's promising us family. Jesus is promising people to us who will be fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. He's giving us family. So the person who comes to Christ and has lost their family will now gain family. And Jesus says there will be lands, places again where you feel like you belong, where this is my turf. I feel so at home here. In other words, what we leave behind, Jesus will replace in godly kind and far, far greater measure. Jesus says he won't just give us, he won't just match what we leave. He won't just... You know, I'll, I'll see what you've left you and I'll raise you a little bit as compensation. No, Jesus says we will receive a hundredfold. Jesus doesn't promise us wealth. He doesn't promise us health. He doesn't promise us a life without hardship or, or pain. But he does promise us community. Somebody once said that the, the one form of suffering no Christian should ever have to experience is loneliness. 
I have a very dear friend who is, is from a, a particular Muslim background. And he knew when he first began to think about the claims of Jesus, he knew that if he became a Christian, he would not see his family again. He would be rejected by them. What was Jesus promising him? Jesus was saying to that friend of mine, if you come to me, you will have more community than you had before, not less. You'll have more family than you had before and not less. It doesn't mean the pain of what we leave will go away. There will always be grief. But alongside what we lose, Jesus promises us a hundredfold gain. So we think about what we leave. We think about what we receive from Jesus. But there's one more component to this promise we need to, to be aware of. And that is what we provide. Now, looking at what Jesus has said so far about what he's going to promise people, we might think, you know, Jesus is lovely. Isn't Jesus amazing? And he is. Jesus cares that we have people in our lives. Uh, that kind of thing is not irrelevant to him. It's not unspiritual. That you have friends matters to Jesus. That you have people to do life with matters to Jesus. He's actually promised that for you. He's staked his reputation on it. But there's something we mustn't miss here. This is an unusual promise of Jesus because there is a sense in which this promise depends on us to fulfill it. Uh, normally with what Jesus promises, we have nothing to do with it. When Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, we don't contribute to that, we don't help out with that. That is all on Jesus. When Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, again, we're thinking, okay, that's, that's up to Jesus to do. I, I can't do that. But with this promise, we're not just spectators looking at Jesus giving someone community and family. We are participants. So one of the things we need to realize looking at this text is that we are the fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters that Jesus is promising. So think about what this involves. We need to provide for one another what we have. Because those houses Jesus is promising, those are your houses. I don't know if you remember the, the Hobbit movies a few years ago. They weren't amazing movies, but, you know, they were pretty good. And I remember the first Hobbit movie, and it, it opens with the main character, Bilbo. Uh, he's, he's in his, his home. He's just closed the door on the rest of the world. He's just so happy to be in his house on his own, to have peace and quiet. His pantry is full of nice food that he can enjoy, and he's just so happy. And then there's a knock at the door, and a, a dwarf or two turns up. And they don't even acknowledge him. They just walk straight in. 
start helping themselves to his food, start sort of making a mess in his house. And just as he's trying to kind of get his head around what's just happened, there's another knock at the door, and there's more who come, another knock and more. And I can't remember how many, 12 or so dwarves end up turning up, making a mess of his house, eating all of his food. And his head is spinning. And then eventually Gandalf, the wizard, turns up. And Gandalf explains that he had put a magic mark on Bilbo's front door as a signal to these dwarves, this is where you can come and just help yourself to everything. And Jesus is doing something very similar to that with our houses. Doesn't matter what kind of home you live in, it might be a nice big house, it might be a very, it might be a very small house. But our homes are to be open to those who need a place to be. Um, a few years ago, I was speaking to a, a, a group of pastors in England, and we got onto this kind of subject, and I, 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 said to, I said to them, who in your Christian community needs to have a key to your front door? Who needs to, to know that they can just turn up whenever they want to, whenever they need to, that they're that welcome? They don't even have to check with you first. Well, a few months after that conference, I was speaking somewhere else, and a, a youngish guy came up to me and said, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but a while ago you were speaking to pastors and you told them to, something about giving other people a key to their home. Well, I just want you to know my pastor gave me a key. I'm a single guy in the church. I'm often lonely. He gave me a key to his house, and I've, I've really become part of his family. And I just wanted to say what a blessing it has been to be able to call his house my home. And I thought that was lovely. That was a blessing to hear. But the thing that was an amazing blessing was a few months after that, a guy came up to me and said, hey, I was a pastor at that thing you spoke at, and I gave my key to this young guy, <laughs> same guy. And he said, I can't tell you what a blessing that young man has been to my family. He's been a great example to my kids. He, he helps around the house. He, he feels like he really is part of the family. And so I just wanted to thank you for giving us that challenge. What Jesus is talking about here is not, is not adopting someone as a, as a kind of project. It's, not, it's nothing condescending. It's not saying, well, you are the needy person and I can, I can serve you as my good deed for the day. No, Jesus is calling us to do this, to open up our own homes to other people in our Christian community because there's something in us that needs for that to happen. We will be diminished. We will be lacking if we're not doing that. Jesus is promising our homes. He's promising our lands. Now, most of us don't own lands. <laughs> um, we don't sort of own vast estates and tracts of land. But again, here's what Jesus means. He's saying that we so take this hundredfold commitment to heart that if people move to this community and end up at this church, they will feel so welcomed, so enfamilied, I'm going to make up a word, enfamilied by this community 
that even the very land around here now feels unique to them. The topography, the trees, whatever it might be, they feel so much a sense of identification because this is where their people are. But it's not just what we have that we are to provide, it's what we are that we are to provide because Jesus doesn't just talk about homes and lands, he talks about relationships. Uh, Jesus speaks in terms of, of three generations. There's the mothers and fathers, there's the brothers and sisters, and then there's the, the sons and daughters. So for all of us, there'll be people who are older than us in the faith. There'll be people who are at our kind of stage. And there'll be people who are coming up behind us in the faith. And to each of those different generations, we are to be family. So a good question to ask is, who can I be a son or a daughter to in my Christian family? Who in this church community can I kind of adopt as, as a Christian parent? Who is there that I can look up to? Who is there that I can listen to? Who is there that I know will have wisdom and experience that I lack? Who is there that it would be wise for me to assume knows far more about life in God's world than I do? Jesus wants our church communities to be places where, where experience is cherished, where gray hair is revered. I have a vested interest in gray hair being revered. I'm adopting it very, very quickly. Um, I look a lot like my dad. I always used to say to people, oh, you'll know who my dad is the moment he walks into the room. He's me, but with gray hair. Now I can't say that. <laughs> so who is there ahead of us that we can be a son or a daughter to? Who is there around us that we can be a brother or a sister to? Who we can link arms with and encourage each other as we, as we move forwards in our discipleship together? Who can I be a brother or a sister to? And then finally, who can I be a father or a mother to? Who is there in the, you know, coming up behind us in the faith? Who is there younger than me in this church family that I could actually help? That I could share some of the lessons I've learned along the way with? That I can really encourage and, and, and they'd know I've got their back. They'd know I'm rooting for them. Who can I be something of a spiritual father to or a spiritual mother to? And what's great about this, this promise, what's great about what Jesus is calling us to is there's something for all of us to do. We can all be one of those things to someone else. Maybe some of us can be all three of those things to other people. Irrespective of your age, irrespective of your Christian experience, you can be family to other people. So we thought about what we leave And the pain that can often come with that. We thought about what we receive in this just mind-blowing promise of Jesus. And we think about what we provide. That actually we embody the fulfillment of this promise to those who most need it. I want to close by sharing a verse from John chapter 19. 
Do you know when you're sometimes you're just reading through a part of the Bible, you're, you're kind of minding your own business, and some verse just suddenly comes alive to you? Well, this is a verse right at the end of uh, the end of John 19. No, it's halfway through John 19. Uh, it's verses 26 and 27. Uh, this is during the crucifixion of Jesus. As Jesus is is hanging on a cross. We're told in verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. It's amazing that even as he is experiencing the agony of crucifixion, Jesus is still thinking of the relational needs of his people. And so Jesus says to Mary, hey, John over there, he's now your son. And he says to John, hey, Mary, she's now your mother. And, dear brothers and sisters, the same risen Jesus is calling on you to look around the people in this room and Jesus is saying to you, behold, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter. And the wonderful thing is the more we embody as a, as a church this hundredfold promise of Jesus, the more the gospel of Jesus will seem compelling to a world around us. Do you remember when Jesus said also in John's gospel, this is how all will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. So my prayer for you is that there may well be people in this, this town, this community, this area, who, who they might hate what you believe. But as they look at your life together, as they see this hundredfoldness of this church family, they will realize this is only explainable if God is real. There is something heavenly that is going on when we fulfill this promise of Jesus. And it makes Jesus non-ignorable to the world around us. Let's have a moment of, of quiet and I'll, I'll pray for us. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Our Father, we thank you for these staggering, precious words of Jesus. 
We thank you that he cares for us in this, this part of our lives. That as, <coughs> as we come to him, we don't need to be alone. That we can have a richness of community that can't be found anywhere else in this world. Father, for those in this room who have lost family or relationships because of their faith in Jesus, please would this promise be very real? Would it be a great comfort? And to all of us, Father, help us to cherish these words by, by being part of their fulfillment. Help us to give ourselves to one another. Help us to be spiritual fathers and mothers, spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual sons and daughters to this family in which you have placed us. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of being your people together. Though we may be from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different cultures, different personalities, you knit us together in Jesus and make us family. Help us to experience the joy of living as your hundredfold people. We pray this so that those who have left so much to follow Jesus would feel so richly blessed and provided for by Christ himself through his people. We pray it, Lord, for our own sakes that it would it would crack open our hearts even more to you to be serving one another in this way. And we pray it, Lord, for the sake of those around us who don't know you, that this community of your people might be a living demonstration of the truth of the gospel. That the love seen here, the community experienced here, the sense of family that is here might be so palpable that people come and find Jesus as a result of it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.